Yo, what's good? Welcome to Counter Currents. This is your host, Petey Steele. And this is your co-host, Elena Torres. And today, we have a guest that we're super excited about. Before I introduce her, let me tell you guys a couple things about this next guest. All right, sometimes in comedy, you're lucky enough to see people really blow up. You know, see people who deserve it really blow up. Like, this girl, I was lucky enough to be on a show with her when I first started, right? And I was like a new comic sitting there right she gets there she looks great but she was wearing comfortable shoes and in her hand she had fancy stage boots right <laughs> and right before she gets on stage she puts on these boots she had the look and she killed it she killed it you know the audience just went from being like it was fine and she just killed the whole room and every time i've seen her since she does that so not only is she so funny She's a professional all the way around. I've looked up to her my whole comedy career. And you can really tell now she's blown up at Montreal just for laughs. All kinds of big famous comedians talk about her all the time. And the coolest part is this weekend she's headlining Arlington Draft House. Everybody, please welcome Paris Sachet. Woo! I've been so used to doing my own sounds for these Zoom shows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Oh, it's all that, pleasure. That, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. No, you know, and the thing is, it's interesting about that. I mean, I wasn't even thinking of some huge, long, credit-filled thing. That's all good. But, like, me and you, Paris, go back from, like, the dancing crab. I remember having you yeah. up there in 2012. I was producing the only Friday show in D.C., and I remember you rolled up. You came on, and I just said, yeah, this person's got it. Because I'm a believer in the, in the Paul Mooney school of comedy where he says the great comics are born, they're not made. You know, it's something like inside of you. And I, it's been great to just watch for the last eight years, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I remember, I remember all, of the, um, all of the open mics when I first started. I feel like those was the real rooms that shaped me to be the person that I am now. Because you need, like, those rooms where you go and you're like, this don't feel like comedy. Yeah, <laughs> and make it comedy, and then that's how you get stronger and better. Yeah, and when did you? I mean, I started about 2012. Were you doing it any time before that, or was it about the same time? Like, I think I about know. the same time because this October makes it eight years. So I want to wow. say around the same time. That was like one of the your room was like one of the first couple of rooms I went to outside of like RFD. And I, I don't know the name of the place in Bethesda. It kind of looked like a wrestling match inside, like a wrestling ring. Oh, Harp and Fiddle or, um, or Union Jacks or? Before those, before both of them. Uh, I think the room was really short-lived, but it was a really good room because it was like in the middle of like a cage area. That's where the stage was. I can't oh, think wow. of it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a... I'll like, remember it later and kick myself, but yeah, and I think <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah, man, there weren't rooms like that in D.C. back then. It was a big deal to have like a room once a night, you know? That's crazy. Definitely. Yeah, to the point where it is now, I feel like over the years, D.C. as a comedy scene, it really grew and there became a lot of rooms. Like there was a lot of time for the comics because I remember when I started it wasn't really a lot of time like you had to prove yourself to even get time if you wasn't good or if you was working on it you had to do that on another day because they wasn't going to put you in front of 
a good audience when it wasn't a lot of rooms. Yeah. And and more wild shit happened. Like I remember having to pull people off the crab after one minute because they were too fucked up or something like that, or they just weren't funny. And you felt like there was more leeway to do that. Now it's sort of like a discipline that's developed amongst the comics where like the stage time, even though there's a lot of rooms, it's like everybody thinks this is the next launch pad to blow up. So they take it more seriously. Whereas you always had more like clowns around back then that were just like fucking around, like whatever, you know? I think there's a lot of clowns still around. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think they just made their own rooms and shows. So then that way, if they are a clown, they don't have to wait to get booked. They can just have the party come to their clown. Uh, to their personal independent clown shows. So I think they still exist, uh, which is a gift and a curse. Because it allows people who shouldn't be on the platform that they are on to perform, whereas eight years ago, you had to earn that badge to get on those stage. And now people can just do it because they have their own shows, which is good and bad. That's right, actually. Let me, actually, I'll rephrase that. I think that the fact is there were clowns back then but you only got the clown like once right and then asked <laughs> come back. yeah i agree 100 percent. now the clowns get a lot more spotlight yeah clowns now listen okay it's red noses at every show it, it doesn't feel <laughs> like it doesn't feel like that you have to work on your craft so much because it feels like now it's more about popularity so right. even if you're popular or if whoever puts the shows on like you they'll continue to give you stage time, but it doesn't help the person because when you get outside of that scene that babies you, you still have to be good. So when you go to a new scene, it's like, wow, I can't use my popularity to be good on the show. Then you bomb and then you're back humble. So it's, it's, it's a gift and a curse in that. So where are you living now? Are you in NY or LA? I was in NY until Corona happened. Um, and then I came back home. So I'm actually, I've been in Baltimore since the corona but prior to i was in la taping and corona just messed everything up so once this is done then i'll go back to la so you so you're gonna live in la now permanently new york's even no no i'm still gonna live in new york okay but i'm just in la for uh shooting the show so okay. once this ends then i'll get back to that but new york is home for now okay that's and how did you i mean we're talking about like using DC as a launch pad, right? And I think a lot of people, you know, like younger comics in the game and by younger doing it less time, right? Like I've been doing comedy probably half the time you have. Like a lot of people look to you as you're one of the ones who really use DC as a launch pad to go to other scenes. How did you do that? What was that process like? I think that DC prepares you for what the rest of the cities and states comedy is. I feel like DC crowds are real. So you really have to be good. And then once you get good here and you master the art, when you travel, it's easy because you've already done the hard work at home and building, making sure that you're prepared because you can kill a show on a Monday night in D.C. And then Tuesday, do the same set. And they're like, "Mm, no. And then (laughs) you're like, but I just killed with this same set. And it's like, but it was a different audience. So maybe you didn't change the jokes because you can do the same jokes but maybe you didn't cater to that audience and make them understand on the level that you did on the Monday night. So I would say personally, I feel like I used the time in DC to get strong, to be able to take it anywhere. So now when I go places and they're like, oh, you from DC, 
a lot of heavy hitters come from D.C. because it's a great grounding area to mold you to be great. Mm -hmm. And what what was it that gave you, was there a moment or something that happened where you're like, you knew you were ready? You were like, that's it. I know I'm ready for bigger things. Um, I would say maybe like, because I went to New York almost three years ago. Somewhere in the five-year mark, I started to feel like I was outgrowing the scene. Hmm. Now, the scene is great, but with all of the new people coming in, hmm. I felt like I was just outgrowing myself. And it came to a point where I can't grow in a room where I feel like I'm one of the top performers. I need to be in a room where everybody is eight years or higher. Right. If I'm just performing with people who've only been doing it for three years and I just keep being the best on every show, that doesn't help me grow. It makes me complacent. So that doesn't do anything for me. So I had to leave so I can continue to grow because I think I mastered the DC scene. Mm -hmm. So it was time for me to take it and leave or get comfortable here. And I feel like if you stay here beyond your growth, it'll start to take away from you. Totally. Totally. I could totally see how that happened. And then, you know, like I said, when I introduced you, something I've always watched with you is you're, you've always got the look, which I think is a huge part of the industry. You always look great. You always, you have such a distinct look on stage. It's such a big part of your persona. Has it always been like that? Or did you learn that as you went? My early years, I think I was trying to find my image mm -hmm. to see which one works the best for me. And that took time. I didn't figure out like my image that was set in stone to maybe like my fourth year. And I was like, okay, it's going to be the haircut. So in the beginning, I went through different hairstyles, different colors. Petey, no, I went through. Oh, yeah. Every week no. you see me, it was a different person. It's like, oh, that's Paris. So you didn't know. But <laughs> like when you start branding your look and your image, you need to figure it out so you can brand it. But then that becomes a part of people remembering who you are. So even if somebody doesn't know my name, they'll be like, oh, well, the, bomb, the bald blonde girl. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, oh, that's Paris, because it's not a lot of blonde, bald girls. Mm -hmm. So I feel like mastering your image, finding your image, and then mastering your image, I think that's a large part in the industry. Because once you leave the scene and when you go to these meetings and you meet with people and you travel, they want to know what is your look. Because this is what you have to sell. This is a part of the package, and this is a part of what you have to sell to the people. So what do you have that's going to make people be like, oh, I like this person, in addition to them hearing your comedy. Mm -hmm. like you have to make people be drawn in prior to them hearing your comedy so they'll even want to hear it more. It's like, I like her, they like, I like her look, but then it's like, is she just as funny as her look? Cause you don't want your look to be so good and then you get up there and you're not funny. Right. Well. Okay. So you need right. to like find balance in your look and your talent, the whole package. Like you need to figure out your whole package and master it so when you do leave DC, and it's time for you to start going other places, it'll be easier. No one has to come in and shape you and mold you. Now they just have to already work with you because you already have your own look. Mm -hmm. And what, what do you think was the craziest look that you tried? Like, what's the look that the pictures that you hid? Mm, maybe uh, I had red long hair on one side and then I had a shaved That's black the one I remember. Hair on the other side. <laughs> So it was, it was, de it definitely made people be like, what is she going to do? Because nobody thought I was a comedian and they thought I was a singer of some sort. Uh huh. That made me realize, okay, I need to get rid of this look because I'm not singing. And mm -hmm. I felt like I was letting people down once I started telling jokes and they was expecting 
like vocals and I'm like oh this is not the look for what I'm going this is not what I want mm-hmm. so I would say maybe the red and black hairstyle that's funny yeah I haven't seen that I haven't seen that photo anywhere <laughs> <laughs> oh, another thing because once I left and I went and I started working with the people in the industry, we're in the, the age of social media. Right. So everybody likes to go back and find out and dig up who you are. So right. I really left for New York. I went back on all my pages and I deleted anything I didn't want the world to see. That's smart. So you did that yourself. You didn't have some agent be like, Paris, you got to take this off. You got to take that off. No, no. I had heard conversations from other people that was already on their way. Right. Yeah, they'll go through all of your stuff and then some companies do background checks depending on what the project is. Mm -hmm. So they'll go through all of your things. So it's like, I'd rather just delete it prior so I don't need them sending me something reminding me of a place where I was that I don't want to go back to. Right, right. That's really smart. That's really smart. And then, you know, I don't, tell me, tell me if this is right, but you know, I've sort of, I've been watching you since I started and I remember a huge moment for you was you went to Montreal just for laughs and a lot of people go to Montreal just for laughs and people think that's making it, but it's not because a lot of comedians go and it's about making a good impression while you're there. Right. And I remember seeing that you went and you were in like every article coming out Mm -hmm. of that festival so what was that whole process of going like and how did you feel like that was a moment that really changed your career I think it was a great I wouldn't say it was a moment that changed my career I would say I think it was a great moment that put me on a platform on a higher platform to change my career Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was a stepping stone like that was the place where it's like an all-star game for comedy so mm-hmm. it was in that moment of being surrounded by all of the legends and the greats and then the people who are on the rise, just so many people just being at the center of that convention. It just let me, it aligned me to know that I'm doing the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, it's also one of those things where like you can collect the award for it, but you still have to do the work. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't network when you're there and you just go, it's not helpful. Like you still have to do the work while you're there. Yes, you made it to that point, but now it's like, okay, now you're at this point, what are you going to do? So for me, I mean, it was nice because it was a whole thing of like DC comedians, like, oh, they don't pick anybody from DC and blah, 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 blah. It was one of those things. It made me want to go on purpose just to show people you can do anything you want to do. You don't have to let anybody put any type of boundaries on you to say what you can't do, but it's how much work are you willing to do? So me going to New York and getting my audition for that, I was like, I have to go. Like, I don't want the story of Paris audition, but didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I have, I had to like protect my energy. I had to tune a lot of people out. Cause I think a lot of the reasons why a lot of people don't make it is because they let people get in their head. So for me, I had to not let anybody get in my head and just like protect my mind during those times for those auditions, because this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it's just like a lot of pressure, you performing and people are just sitting in the back judging you and they give you no type of response. Mm-hmm. And then you have to wait just to hear you even got the call back. And then after you do the call back, still no response. And then when they finally tell you you made it, you have to keep it a secret. So it's, it's a lot, it's almost like a cult. And it's like all of this, and then you wow. get there and you're like, oh, this is fun and this is nice. And I've realized that it's because people let people get in their head while you don't make it. Because to me, 
I think it's definitely about talent, but it's about the overall altogether. So it's about your talent. It's about your look. It's about your confidence, too, because you have to believe in yourself so much that I feel like the judges need to look at you and be like, she has to be there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a should she go. It's she has to be there. Mm-hmm. People need to see this. It's a win for, for the festival, and it's a win for me. So going just allowed me to see that, and then it, it just felt good just to be there representing D.C., mm-hmm. uh, killing the shows, uh, meeting people, networking, just doing everything that comedians dream of doing as their career continues to prosper. Mm-hmm. And I think you touch on something that I think, PD, tell me if you agree with this, but I think as Boy. comics, we all struggle with it. Like you look confident on stage, but I think we all struggle with confidence. And so how, how have you really been able to mentally get yourself in that place? Like what conversations do you have yourself? You say protect your energy. So you're cutting out people who are giving you the wrong messages. Like how does that work? Because I think we all struggle with that. A lot of people do struggle with it. And I feel like comedians and people outside of being comedians struggle with it. But I think as a comedian, it's our job to to make people feel like they're not the only person going through what they're going through. I feel like that's when people connect the most. So that's why I talk about things that happen to me rather than a story putting another person in it. Because I want you to agree with it, but also know I also went through this. Talking about race. So I feel like the confidence has to come from within inside of yourself. That's number one. I feel like a lot of people are looking for other people to make them feel this special way. I think it starts within yourself, especially as a comedian, because it's only you when you're on the stage. It's just you and you alone. And when you bomb, you have to deal with that by yourself. You feel it. Like you feel yourself bombing inside and you're like, this breaks my heart. Yeah. And you have to deal with that. And when you kill, you feel that you kill. You be like, wow, I killed. And you feel it. You have to deal with it. So I feel like it's just a thing of feeling it. Like, you have to be confident because if you're not confident, then what are you? Like, right. I feel like you have to figure out how to make confidence the only option. So then you won't have to choose between two because you only have one. So for me, I wake up and I look in the mirror and I have conversations with myself. That's like step one, because mm-hmm. when you're standing on the stage in front of hundreds of people, you can't see how you look. So all of the time that I can see how I look, I need to see how I look so I can know what look I want to give when I'm out there. So that's like my practicing. That's like my open mic personal time in the mirror with myself. Um, I feel like confidence should also come from, you know, you have to believe that the jokes are funny before you say them. My rule is if it doesn't, if the joke don't, doesn't make me laugh, I shouldn't tell it. Yep. That's like, that's my, like, if I write a new joke and I'm like, okay, this is the one. Like, if I laugh before I write the joke, when I think of it, I'm like, this is going to be a killer. Mm-hmm. Yep. If I just chuckle, I'll be like, oh, maybe I should do it at the open mic. I still have some more work to do. If I don't laugh at all, I'm like, if I can't make myself laugh, how can I make people laugh? Totally. So I feel like level of, I I think it's a lot of back work that you have to do prior to you getting on stage to fully become confident and fully be your best self. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to believe in the jokes before you tell them. Because there's some shows that I don't do good on and I'm literally in my head before the show saying, I'm going to bomb. And then I go out and bomb because I put that in my head. But if you tell yourself, I'm going to kill this show, I'm going to protect my energy before this show. And when I say protect the energy, I mean 
the green room. Like the green room is cool, it's good, but I personally don't believe in engaging in the whole activity of the green room before a show. After the show, I think it's a celebration we should, but before the show, it's just like a basketball game. Like they're all warming up. Yes, they're talking in conversation, but everybody's shooting around trying to find their shot by themselves. So mm-hmm. I think that should be the same way with comedy. I feel like the moment you let people get in your head and people start talking about their bad sets and if somebody bombs, they come to you and they give you that bombing energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You go out there and you're like, I'm about to kill. And then they put, they touch you when they yeah. bomb and put their hand on your shoulder, you're going to bomb. It's only right that you're, they gave you the bombing touch and you're going right. to get so I feel like you have to protect that energy before you get on the stage so you can make sure you're your best self and in your head the way you need to be to give a great performance. Yeah, you got to earn the green room, in my opinion. You got to yeah, go yeah. out there, crush some fucking shit, <laughs> and get wings and fucking, you know, nachos or whatever. But you got to go out there. I know before when I do sex, I get mad. I get like, I, I, I do have nerves, but I get really like, internally angry i get mad at whoever is in front of me like whoever's going if i think they're going like 30 seconds too long i start visualizing cutting their head off with an axe because i'm so <laughs> up with like nervous energy that i just want to go out there and hadouk in the fucking crowd and do the show and then once that's done then yeah but i agree with that that thing about you know if it doesn't make you laugh Who's it going to make laugh? You know, you might think, okay, that's a funny idea. Jot it down or whatever. But I know the best jokes I have are things that just hit me. And right then and there, I knew this is going to hit. Right. You got to keep it real with yourself. I mean, that's the thing about confidence. You have to be able to say, honestly, yes, this works. This other stuff's some shit, you know? Yeah, you definitely have to be comfortable with throwing things away because they don't work. It's fine. More things will come to you. You've lived the whole entire life. Like there has to be more things to talk about. So I just feel like it's literally about being real with yourself because you can't yep. be real to a crowd of people if you're not being real with yourself inside. Correct. And I think that's what open mics are for. Open mics are for, to me, unfinished ideas. So mm-hmm. if you have something, but you're like, this is not it. I feel like if you go, my method is going to an open mic and talking through a new idea or a new joke. Because that way it allows me to pull out real jokes that come to me in the moment. And to me, those are the best ones. Cause it's like, okay, I'm gonna take this idea about smoking weed. While I'm talking about smoking weed, it really starts to come out just in between conversation between me and the audience. I write that down, I perform it the next day, it works. Because it came right then and there, which lets me know it's real. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the things I do. Uh, if I do a real show, I'll do a killer set that I know is killer, and I'll squeeze a new bit in the middle. And that'll show me how strong it is. Because if that can go in the middle after a good joke that I've crafted to be good and it's still hit, that's a great joke. If it goes downhill, it's like it still needs work. So I just yeah. feel like you got to figure out your method to performing. Like once you figure out your – because I think everybody's method is different. Mm-hmm. I think once you figure out your method, then I feel like you start working on your method and yourself and you only get better because you can only get better. Mm-hmm. And what about now that you're doing, you know, you're headlining all over the place, like you're headlining Arlington, our home club, 
this weekend. Like, what about crafting an hour? Because, you know, you're going from, you know, before you were, you know, say you're a feature comic, now you're a headline comic and you, you know, are your bits longer? Like before something that would have been five minutes, now is it 15? Like, how does that happen? How do you craft that hour? So when I just recorded my album in January, I just put all of my favorite jokes on the album. I was like, all of these jokes are, they're done. Like they're done to the point I'm tired of hearing them, even though everybody hasn't heard them. But I'm so tired of hearing them that I know I need to put them down to work on a new album. So as far as transitioning from a feature to a headliner, I feel like there's several jokes that I have that I don't use because your feature time is like 15 to 20 minutes. So you can't use all of your jokes. So depending on the show, I'll do different jokes. But with the whole hour, I feel like it gives me more time to make it personal because now I can open up more. Now I don't, it doesn't have to be a whole hour of just jokes. It can be... Out, it can be 45 minutes of jokes, 15 minutes of me talking to the crowd. Because sometimes after you do killer jokes, the crowd is still laughing. You don't want to go over their laughter. So you stop. You call it back. They laugh again. That's another, I'm more into like stretching the time out, but stretching the time out while still having fun. Now, if it just has to be an hour of jokes, I would just set up how I want the set to be going from the first joke to the last joke. And in those times, if a joke is five minutes, I always give it at least really seven minutes. Because mm -hmm. that laughter will take up that time and you don't want to step on your laughter. So I just feel like it just gives me more time to pull out more ideas that I have and actually do all the time I really want to do. Because when you're doing a feature set and you're having so much fun and you get the light, you're like, but I did not even get into my set. Yeah. <laughs> so the hour gives you the time to get into your set and just be comfortable. You don't have to rush it. I feel like sometimes as a feature, you feel rushed because you want to get everything out and you want everything to hit. But sometimes timing just doesn't work that way. So being a feature just gives me, it gives me more time to make it about me. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy that because I mean, I'm 28. I have stories. So it just gives me more time to tell people more stories and more crowd interaction. So I can talk to people. When you're featured, you can talk to people in between, but you have to wrap it up if you want to get back to those jokes because you only have 20 minutes. Now with 45 minutes to an hour, it's actually the Paris Sachet show and I can make it the way I want it to be. That's awesome. And then, you know, you're talking about, back to sort of what you were saying with Montreal and how, you know, you're really into being the whole package as a comic, like everything you're talking about, like, it's not just being funny, like, yeah, you're funny every time I see you, but also, you know, you're talking about the look, and you also mentioned networking, like, a lot of people coming up in comedy don't realize what a big part of our job that is, you know, having to, you know, talk to other comics and network, and how do you manage that along with protecting your energy and not doing the green room stuff before the show? Like, how do you marry those two things? Mm, that's a good question. So how do I protect my energy and still network? So to me, honestly, with being in the industry and just traveling and saying things, I think networking can get you more gigs than your actual stand-up can get you. And in that sense of, you can be funny, but if you don't, if you're not a person, like if you're not just being a person off stage and people can talk to you and you guys can have a conversation, that can get you booked on a show before they even see your stand-up. Mm -hmm. Just because they had a connection with you and they're like, oh, I feel like she has a good vibe. We want to give her a spot. They haven't even seen your comedy. 
Then you go and perform and they like your comedy. Now that's two for one because they liked you prior to your comedy. So now you have them literally wrapped up in your fingertips. Mm-hmm. So networking and protecting your energy, I feel like you can still network, but just the whole idea of like celebrating before the show, I don't agree with that because it's it's just not, it's not, it's not helpful to me. Like somebody coming and telling me their whole weekend before yeah. I perform yeah. for 45 minutes, I'm not going to remember all of my jokes. If you just put your boring life into my goddamn head. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm on stage thinking about your life and it's coming in between my jokes. I would say you can network. You can even network after the show. You don't have to network in the beginning, but I just feel like you definitely should make networking a thing, especially if you're traveling or you're looking to go beyond the scene that you're in. Right. Um, right. You- but then before show people, you can tell them, hey, if I go up and bomb, are you going to network with me after right. the show? Right. You- yeah. That's the thing. That's what you have yeah. to think about. If you're networking in the beginning, then you go bomb because now everybody's putting pressure on you. Now yeah. they're looking at you. So now not only do you have to be good within yourself, but now you have to worry about what people are going to think about. They can throw you off. Totally. totally. So I just feel like network, but still protect your energy. I'm trying to figure out a good definition for how to do both. It definitely can be done because I do it, but I just feel like make it make sense according to you. Don't feel forced. Like if you see a group of people over there networking and you're not in it, you don't have to network as a group. Just make sure that you make yourself known before that person or that group of people leave. Mm-hmm. So I would say you can still do it. Just make it make sense for you. Some people enjoy talking before shows. Some people don't, but you can network after the show. You can network during the show. You can send somebody a message. Even if you guys talk after the show, just a follow-up. I feel like a lot of people don't follow up with people. You have to follow up. And you don't have to ask for something every single time, but just follow up and make your presence known. Mm-hmm. Um, and then communicate with comics. You don't have to become their friends, but definitely communicate because you never know when you're going to travel to an area and they'll be there, or you never know if you're going to need this person to vouch for you for something because they might know a director personally. And then the director wants to meet with you, but the director asks this person about you. So just keeping a clean slate and just being, finding a way to be cool, even if you're not friends, just still finding a way to be cool with people, just networking so people can still say good things about you when you aren't in the room. Yeah, and I think that's a true thing that comics forget a lot is because since we're all generally funny people, uh, we think of our best friends back in the day as also being kind of funny. And sometimes the lines get blurred between like, oh, yeah, this is also a business. So, you know, just be cool rather than just trying to be funny and riff. Like, I don't even like riffing with comics like that. I mean, especially not ones I just met. Unless yeah. we kind of have some connection or whatever. I want to be about the business. Yeah. yeah. I feel like definitely my thing I tell people all the time is be a person when you're not on, when you're off stage. Like some people, I think they're just a comedian in their head all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's okay for you to just be a person, just be a human, just be a person. Because as comedians, sometimes we're numb to a lot of things. That's how our jokes that are really pain come to light and they end up being great bits because we experienced it is real. But when you're off the stage, everything doesn't have to be funny. Like you, I, I, I really truly hate it when somebody tries to have a 20 minute conversation 
and the whole conversation is jokes. It's like, listen, at what point are you a person? Because I think that the industry people also look for that. Comedy, I would say, I learned, I think comedy is the gateway to get in the door, depending on what you want for your future. That's what I truly think. I think comedy is just a leeway. But then after comedy, it's like, what do you want to do with your comedy? Like back in the day, a lot of the comedians started with comedy and then they got their own TV show. And they bought their comedy to the TV shows. So it's like comedy is going to get you through the door, but then what else do you want to do after you get through the door? Because some people forget that. And then that's why people are like, but they did all these festivals. They're not doing anything because they're just comfortable that they did the festivals. They're not networking. You still have to do the work, even with an agent and a manager. They, they're there to help you, but it's like, what can you do as well? We'll do 50%, but you still have to do the 50%. I think a lot of people think you get an agent and a manager and you're automatically booked all the time and you don't have work to do. That's a lot. They're even looking at you like, okay, we're here to push it, but you still have to create what we need to push. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I think people just, depending on the person, you just have to find the, the middle lining of networking, but still protecting your peace because you still have to put yourself first. So just some way, somehow doing those two and not being too friendly. I don't believe in the too friendly thing neither. I feel like it's a slap in the face. It can't be a slap in the face. And it's, it's just like, to me, comedy is still work. So it's like, before these people are my friends, they're my coworkers. Totally. So I feel like you still need to keep it at a level of like, Somebody will still have something to say good about you when you're not around, but every time they see you, they're like, hey, like it's for me, it's like, I'm cool with everybody, but I also don't like a lot of people, but you also won't know that from seeing me because I'm not going to talk bad about them. I'm not going to say anything to them and I'm not going to say anyone's name. I will paint the picture in the Facebook status, but I won't say the name because we're still coworkers and it's still about business. We don't have to get along to be business partners. Right. That's my take. Right. And you're talking about how comedy leads to other stuff. What, what other stuff do you want? Like, are you using stand-up? Do you want specials? Do you want TV shows? Like, what's your comedy dream? Mm. Your comedy dream? My comedy, I would say, first of all, a special, definitely. I would say the special is coming. Uh, putting out my first album, I felt like that was a test for myself just to be like, let's see the type of response you'll get from this. And then once you get that response okay, boom, special. So this got a good response, and now I'm thinking, okay, definitely special within the next year. I will say that. Um, a show, definitely, like the Paris Sachet show. I'll, I'll speak it into existence. But I do want to create a show where it helps me to break down race. Like, that's, that's a big part of my jokes, but it's also a big part of my life. And I want to show people like the way that black people and white people can get along, but also show black people and white people faults. So like it, it's, it's honest, but then it's also helpful. That's my idea what the show would be. And then I'll have sketches on it, of course, and the jokes will come from the conversation, but I want it to be a funny, but yet educational show for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, movies, definitely. Uh, I think I would say within the next two years, I think I'm thinking about, pulling back from like the like the spotlight and I want to do writing and put people in the spotlight interesting so that's another thing I'm working on like being in the spotlight is fun 
But I just, I think it's a lot of pressure, honestly. Um, and being behind the scene is also fun because you can create and then watch people bring your ideas to life and know that you still, you're still in it though because you wrote it. Right. So it would be between TV shows, producing shows, um, a whole production company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of goals. Actually, I feel like anything that you want, you can achieve it. So I guess as time goes on, anything that I want, I feel like I'm going to achieve it. And it's just the, that's where the confidence comes back in of saying, you can get whatever you want as long as you plant the seed and then go after it. Mm-hmm. So as the years come, I feel like my dreams might change, but I definitely would say that comedy has me in a door and I'm in a good spot to think about what do I want to push forward next as the main thing. And that would be the TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, me hosting my own TV show. And you say it'll be, it would be a combination in your mind, like of stand up, of sketch. And, my, and you know, and you're talking about all these, these themes of race, like what stuff that you've seen that you want to correct and educate? Like, give me some examples. I want to, I want to educate white people on the problems that they do that they don't think is wrong. And I also want to educate black people and the problems they do that they don't think are wrong. I really want the show to just show all races that we all need each other in different, in different situations. So really it's educating people, but then it's also bringing us together because when you look, look at it, you're like, oh, wow, this doesn't make sense. For example, Trump becoming a president, breaking the white community up. So he has white people, not liking other white people. We haven't seen that on a big platform like this. Mm-hmm. I know I seen it prior too because I used to watch Lifetime and Unsolved Mysteries and things like that. But mm-hmm. everybody hasn't seen those shows. So something funny as a monologue where it's a white movie, but it has all black people in it. Like I want to twist the narrative, but also use the comedy behind it because it's true, but still educate people. So when you watch it, you'll be like, oh wow, this is a good show, but I learned this. Mm-hmm. Um so that would be my goal. And then of course I would have some monologues in it. Uh, I think I'll bring the comedy, like it might be a spot where you cut it on and I'm doing stand-up. And then it goes to commercial, it comes back, there's a game show. So it's just, it, it, it's literally going to be like a, I wouldn't say SNL, but it would have some like SNL feels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a black woman TV show host. Besides no. Wendy Williams, to be honest. There's really not one that's like, everybody knows and because i'm able to speak to all races of people mm-hmm. i think it'll bring everybody together and that's really my mission and i just think we all need each other for different reasons so we less hate more love and understanding because i just think a large part of people not getting along or understanding each other is because people don't take out the time to understand other people 100 percent. So that's my passion just getting everybody to be on, on board and on the same accords and understanding that if we stick together we'll get there quicker wherever the there is but as long as we're torn apart and there's more hate it'll take longer to get back to love right we're up i think that all that you're right it hasn't been it hasn't been done there has i mean there's barely any female hosts at all on tv let alone black female hosts wendy williams does a daytime show Right. You know, I think there's definitely like something missing in that space. And from what I've seen, I mean, the stuff, the stuff that you create, at least like on your Instagram and everything, like that thing that you just did with Talib and Rallo Boykins making fun of girlfriends, that was hilarious. 
You know, you do a lot of. Um, but yeah, things like that. So how we just went into uh and um we went to an old show and poured it out and did something like that. I would that would be like Golden Girls. We'll bring that back later. And then surprise, there'll be an older Spanish lady. Like it'll break all the narratives down. The thing that you have to cut four different shows want to watch. So that's 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 the goal for me. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's this? Can you tell us what's this thing that you were shooting in LA? Can you tell us what that is, or is that still top secret? I can't. I can't tell I can't tell the world that it is still top secret, but uh, I will say that it's the biggest project I've done thus far. Wow, that's all you can give us. And, and yes, yeah, it's the biggest project I've done thus far. It's on a major platform, um, a major, major, like one of the top five platforms, I would say right now. Um, and it's big. And I feel like it's going to lead to this big special that I'll get in the next year or so. I'll say Fantastic. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome, Paris. That's so, that's so cool to see. And yeah. Um, What was the last thing? I missed it. I'm sorry. Oh no, I just said that's so that's that's so cool to see, Paris. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm. Uh, listen, I appreciate it. Uh, I love to see the people on the DC scene be happy. I feel like I just try to open the doors for the scene because there's a large thing of like, when's the last time somebody from DC came out and got real big? And it's like if they think about it, then they go back to Martin and Wanda. It's like nobody in like my generation or the generation before, mm -hmm. especially not women, mm -mm. Um, especially not black women either. So I just feel like I, opening the doors for me, opening one door being from DC means I'm opening the door for other people. So if I open a door and the door's already open, anybody can go through that door. Sure. It's already open now. So that, that's how I look at it. Like one win for DC is a win for everybody because yeah. now it's bringing the same back. Totally. And I think, and I think not only that, but also, you know, as someone who is a newer comic, sort of like watching you blow, you also set an example, like every show that you did, like you were a pro about it. Like you brought the good shoes, you brought the image, you always showed up on time, you know, and I noticed that about you before shows that you kind of like went off to your area and then would do, would perform, kill it. And then afterward it was like, okay, you would hang out for a little bit. And that as someone who's coming up, and you're watching and you're learning, like that sets an example of like, okay, this is the work ethic that you need to follow. Yeah, I definitely think it comes down to you preparing for what you want. Mm -hmm. So if you're dressed for the job, there was the saying, dress for the job that you want. Yeah. So if mm -hmm. you prepare for it in advance, it's going to happen and your preparation will prepare you for it when it actually does happen. Mm -hmm. So I just say, just, I mean, to, a younger comic or a comic 
is not taking off soon enough. Uh, in my 40, four to five years of being in DC, there was a lot of days where I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is not paying my bills. So mm-hmm. I feel like it, it really takes a mindset for you to, all I do is have to work hard to it. But no, also, there's going to be some hurdles. There's going to be some days where you feel like it's not good enough. You're going to bomb and it's going to make you better. It doesn't feel like it's going to make you better because it hurts, but it will be better. Think about that bomb. And you don't want to feel like the scene. It's a lot of great comics right now. I think there's a lot of great rooms. I just feel like if everybody just be persistent as they can, opportunities for DC and then maybe the industry will actually come to DC and they'll shows in dc on a bigger platform yeah yeah for sure for sure so you guys shows tonight well well this is gonna air probably next week but what do you got coming up uh in the following weeks um i don't really know so I feel like a oh, 15th headliner. That's all I know for right now. But as far as October and like the end of September, writing, I'm just writing. So with me, as a writer, it'll be like, see, I'm behind the scene, but I'm still on the scene. Um, so that's it as of now. And I feel like there's probably changing. But I am working and talking about for a couple different projects. So maybe at the beginning of 2021, of the apocalypse, there will be more great information for me to share. Well, oh, you have to get there. Wait. Tell us how to survive. <laughs> right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to make it. As long as we make it there. Yeah. Then we'll have more things to share there. And then it'll be better because at least we made it. Everybody's not going to make it. So there might be more stage time and less comments coming soon. I don't know how to write <laughs> Yeah, it's been 195,000 people so far. None of them been on my list yet. <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> but hey, That's thank what you I- so much for joining us and... um. Uh, where can they get at your social media? You can follow me at Parasache, at P-A-R-I-S-S-A-S-H-A-Y. Sasha, Sasha with a Y. Um, hey. All my socials and my website, officialparasache.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much Thank again. I, mean, I might even creep through there tonight, so we'll see. Okay, cool. Well, if you do, I'll see you. Fantastic. It was nice to you guys. If nice not, slap Rollo across his head for me, okay? <laughs> okay, I got you. Stay safe, guys. All right, take care. Thanks, Ferris.